Okay, so like I said, this semester we're talking about the Ten Commandments, uh, found here in Exodus. Uh, last semester we talked about essentially how to be a disciple of Jesus, and most semesters we will talk about something from the Bible. Actually, every semester we'll talk about something from the Bible. Um, it's God's Word. It's important to Christians. And as you know, probably, it's the rule of faith and life for all of God's people. Um, I say all that leading into our first point for tonight as we're talking about the Ten Commandments, which is simply that uh, the Old Testament is still important. Maybe you're wondering if it is. Maybe you're wondering why are we doing something as New Testament believers who believe in Jesus? Why are we doing something from the New Testament? And especially talking about God's law instead of talking about grace. Well, for the record, we're actually going to talk about grace a lot this semester, and we're going to talk about Jesus a lot. Uh, but the Old Testament is still really important. Uh, first, I'll point out that in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle of Jesus, says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all of the scriptures are inspired, they're useful, they're useful for doctrine and instruction and training and righteousness and for reproof. They are God's word. And the Old Testament is still God's word. Uh, now, many of you probably already believe that, but I think it's really important to point out because there are just so many misunderstandings of the Old Testament, especially as we start talking about the law. Um, and, and I'll get more into the law in particular later, but right now we're just talking about why we talk about the Old Testament. Okay, so it's still God's word, as 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us, and we'll talk about Jesus' view of the Old Testament here in just a minute, our, our own Lord's thoughts on the Old Testament. Um, but for now, what we see also from the New Testament is that the Old Testament teaches us about God and about Jesus. It's actually necessary to understand who God is and who Jesus is. Uh, in Luke 16, we read the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Maybe you're familiar with this. Jesus is, is telling a story to uh, a group of people, and he tells a story of a man who is rich, and he has a beggar who lives outside of his gates, and the beggar trusts in God, and so when he dies, he goes to be with God, and he goes to what uh, Jesus calls Abraham's bosom. He, he's with Abraham, uh, the father of the nation of Israel in heaven. And then he goes on to say that the rich man, who apparently never cared a bit about the poor man, having died in his own selfishness and greed, he dies and he goes to hell. And when he gets there, he asks for mercy from Father Abraham. And he asks that uh, someone can go back to earth, that maybe he could, to go warn his brothers about the judgment that's coming. And Abraham's response there is actually not that if they just do the right thing, they'll be okay. Or if they believe in me, Jesus, the one who's talking and telling this story, he goes on to say that they have Moses and the prophets. Your brothers will be okay if they believe Moses and the prophets. And, and the rich man says, but no, 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 no. If, if someone rises from the dead and goes back to them. And Abraham says, 
Well, no, actually, if they don't believe in Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if somebody rises from the dead. See, Jesus has a very high view of the Old Testament. He's got a very high view of the Old Testament. It's actually essential to what we know about God and how we believe. Uh, If you look in Luke 24, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. He dies on the cross and is resurrected on the third day. He meets a couple of his disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And it says that as he's talking to them, he begins to expound to them the scriptures, Moses and the prophets, and to show them how all the Old Testament is about himself. And as they listen to him, their hearts burned within them, the scripture says there. In Matthew five seventeen through 20, uh, Jesus tells us about his own relation to the law of God, to the Old Testament. He says he hasn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right? You're getting the picture that the Old Testament is actually extremely important. Okay. You may be wondering again, like probably many of you already believe in this. I think it's important to reinforce this, to talk about it, and refresh in our own hearts why we keep going back to the Old Testament as Christians. Because there are a lot of misunderstandings, as I've said, and a lot of bad teachings. Um, Many of you have probably heard of Andy Stanley uh, and and others who kind of fall into a camp with him. This is a couple years old now. Uh, His sermon is anyway, the controversy around him. But his teaching was actually nothing new when he said that we're not responsible to keep the Ten Commandments. And when he said that we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, that we can't keep making it difficult for those who are turning to God. And he's talking about the difficulties unbelievers have with the Old Testament when they're thinking about following Jesus. But you see how extremely dangerous a teaching like that is because we need the Old Testament to fill out our knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament teaches us of Jesus through the ceremonies and types that it contains. It's where we get so many of our categories for understanding what forgiveness is for what atonement of sins is. It's where we get so much of our understanding, actually, of how Christians are to live. Because while the New Testament does lay out so many lessons and morals for us, it's not exhaustive. And there in the Old Testament, we find so many examples of how to understand even the Ten Commandments. Which, by the way, we will get to. Uh, We're going to take them one at a time over the next over the following weeks in the semester. Um, But tonight, again, I want to talk about why we're doing this. Okay, so in short, without the Old Testament, we're robbed of a lot of our knowledge of Christ and a lot of our knowledge of how to live for God. It's actually necessary to the Christian life. It's it's not just some sort of extra thing. Uh, Okay, so... As we start moving toward the Ten Commandments themselves and toward what I'm going to generally refer to as the law of God, uh, which the Ten Commandments are a summary of, I want to draw a distinction here for you between the law of God, as in the moral code, the moral standards of God, 
the eternal moral standards of God, and the Torah, the teachings of the Old Testament. Uh, when we talk about uh, Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets, as he says in Matthew 5, he's talking about the whole shebang, okay? And, and tonight, when I talk about how the law condemns us and we're not able to keep it, I'm not talking about all the teachings in the books of Moses or in the prophets or in the histories of the Old Testament. I'm talking about the moral code contained in them. And that's laid out for us in Exodus 20 and following. It's, there are a lot of other codes, ceremonial and otherwise, in Leviticus and Numbers and uh, Deuteronomy and all over the Old Testament through examples and things. But here we actually have something uh, codified, right? Something systematic to help us understand how to follow God and to help us understand his character. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about, that, that moral code of, of God's standard. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the law, not the Torah, which is the whole of the books of Moses. And I'm not talking about the histories or the prophets in the Old Testament either. Okay, so more specifically then, why are we going through the Ten Commandments? Uh, Well, first, they contain a nice and concise summary of God's law. And they've been recognized for a long time by the church at large as being instructive for God's people, just like we talked about with 2 Timothy 3.16. Right? These, these have been important to God's people for a long time. In fact, for uh, nearly 2,000 years, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed, which we often say here together, have been kind of the three things that have formed the backbone of Christian instruction. Those are like the first things you learn as a Christian. We have to know who God is. We have to know the overarching story of scripture. Uh, we have to know how to live with God as his redeemed people, and we have to know how to pray to God, how to commune with him. And so the Ten Commandments have been an important part of that. Um, that's, that's one aspect of why we're doing the Ten Commandments anyway, one reason. It's not the whole thing. Uh, okay, so maybe you're sitting there thinking, uh, but the Bible doesn't say that, oh, sorry, <laughs> I've, I've got a typo here. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, but the Bible says that we are no longer under law, but under grace. Okay, well, I, I want to talk about that, because I think if you're thinking that, that's a good thought. I'm glad that you uh, have that in the back of your mind, and that you're operating from that standpoint. It's important that our hearts are established upon grace and belief in Jesus Christ. But first, to address that, yes, the Bible does say that. But what Paul means when he writes that, that we're no longer under law but under grace, is that we're no longer under the condemnation of the law for not being able and not being willing to meet its demands. See, Paul isn't saying there that the law is just out, that it's no part of the Christian life anymore. He's not saying that the Old Testament law has nothing to do with us anymore. Paul is saying that even though we don't keep it, 
we're going to be okay through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying that, yeah, we live by faith because we've never been able to live by the law. So, uh, also remember this, that it's the same Paul who in Romans 3, after going on and on about the law and how it speaks against both Gentiles and Jews, which was an important distinction at the time he was writing, after going on and on about that, he goes on to say, okay, so wait, if we're saved apart from the law, is the law over? And he says, no, 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 by no means. We actually uphold the law in this faith that we've now entered into in Jesus Christ. So, then uh, there are usually several approaches that I want to address to that question that I asked earlier. Aren't we under grace and not under law? Uh, One of those approaches is for people to try to take the minimalist route with the law. And they, they do this by trying, I'm emphasizing trying because it's a hard thing to do. They do this by trying to simplify God's law to just loving God and just loving your neighbor. So then can't we just do away with stuff like the Ten Commandments? Well, um, I appreciate what they're saying there, actually. Um, Jesus himself, himself says that the greatest commandment and the second great commandment are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? But, but the misunderstanding there is that when Jesus tells that, when he says that those are the two greatest commandments, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. Law books. Paul, the apostle, says that love is the fulfilling of the law. It's hard for us to imagine what love is without these commandments. The Ten Commandments have often been thought of in terms of uh, two tablets. There's some debate on whether or not the two tablets that Moses carried down from Mount Sinai after they were, after these commandments were given to him, uh, were the first five or first four or and six commandments or first five and five. However, you split it up or whether they were uh, all 10 and all 10 dealing with a covenant. That's not really pertinent to what we're talking about tonight, though. Um, The point is uh, that all of these commandments are about loving God and loving our neighbors. And what so much of the Old Testament goes on to expound after the Ten Commandments is, is how this plays out in our lives with God and our neighbors. Okay, the other approach that people take to that question, uh, aren't we under grace and not under law? It, it's often by doing this. They try to intensify the law by saying that Jesus gave us a new law in the Sermon on the Mount, which is actually harder to keep than the old law. Um, and there, you know, I appreciate what people are doing as well. And certainly what they've recognized is that what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount is extremely difficult. Jesus tells us that murder is not about just holding back the knife from somebody else's throat. It's not hating them. It's not having anger toward them when it's undue. 
He tells us that adultery is not just not sleeping with somebody else's spouse or someone who's not my spouse, but that it's actually not to desire another person inordinately or someone that I shouldn't desire or desire someone in a way that I shouldn't. Right? What is Jesus actually doing there immediately after saying he's not come to abolish the law? He's telling us what the law was always really about. This is what Paul means when he says in Romans 7 that the law is spiritual. In agreement with David and the Psalms, Paul understands that uh, the law is spiritual. And by that, we don't mean that it's like more ambiguous now and it's just internal in some way. He means the extent of the law actually reaches down into your hearts, into every motive and every thought and not just your actions. The law of God has always been far more demanding than just the, the bare minimum of the Ten Commandments. The intent of the Ten Commandments is exactly what Jesus is telling the people in the Sermon on the Mount. You can find it in the rest of Exodus. Thou shalt not kill. That's expounded upon later for the nation of Israel in their national laws by laws like this, uh, that people actually had to build parapets, uh, a, a sort of fence around their roof. And this was a time and place when people spent a lot more time on their roofs, right? This is Israel a long time ago. People spent a lot of time on their roofs. And it was actually incumbent upon the person who owned the house to make sure other people did not fall off their roof. It's not just uh, the responsibility of the person standing up there, right? There's always been more to the law. It's always been reaching into the heart and reaching out for our actions, Okay, so the law is spiritual. It's more than just our actions. Uh, Okay, so I've answered, not exhaustively, but I've tried to answer uh, why we don't not teach or keep the commandments. Now I want to talk about why we do teach and strive to keep the commandments. Uh, For one thing, there is kind of the basic question of why we have rules at all. Why do we have these rules from God? They're actually how we live in relationship with God and with other people. We're going to look a little bit more at this preface to the Ten Commandments tonight, this part that says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's important that we have rules and relationships. Every single relationship you will ever have in life will require something of you. It's kind of a universal. You will not be able to stay exactly the same as you are right now in a relationship and actually love the other person. You will always have to pick up your cross and follow Jesus and die to yourself and love other people by changing something in your life, by giving up something that you want. It's kind of a general life observation. But here's, here's something else. Uh, as we look at the Ten Commandments, as we look at God's law, and we wonder, why do, why do we even need this? If I can put it into a picture for you, uh, it's like this, right? To live 
to walk with God, to live with God and other people, we need these rules to keep us happy and properly in relationship to each other. In the same way that a swimming pool has to have walls, right? Imagine an above ground swimming pool. It's fun, right? Uh, I love jumping in my brother's like inflatable swimming pool on hot days. Um, And it's fun to like make my nephew like wash out of the swimming pool when I lean on the side of it. Uh, But when we lean on the side of the pool and we start to destroy the walls, the water runs out. We don't have a pool anymore. Without these laws teaching us how to live with God and other people, what do we have left in the way of relationships? Okay. Um, I'm going to give you a few more reasons we're going to talk about the law, and then we're going to talk about what the gospel is and how it's different from the law. And I'll try to be pretty quick with these, and we'll move on. A few more reasons we're going to talk about the law um, and about God's Ten Commandments. Um, throughout, throughout history, and, and especially throughout um, the history of the Protestant church, we've right, widely recognized three uses of the law, three uses of God's law. And you, generally, when we're talking about uses, we mean like the reasons we preach these and the effect that the, the commandments have on people. Uh, the first reason, the first use of God's law, and remember, please, that these are historical uh, observations, but they are drawn from biblical texts. Uh, the, the first use of God's law is to push us toward Christ. In seeing our inadequacy and our inability to keep the law, the commandments actually move us toward Jesus. They cause us to look outside of ourselves. Right? We see this in, in Romans 7 where Paul is uh, trying to keep the law and sometimes he's doing okay, but he senses inside himself that he, he really can't. He senses inside himself that uh, he, he is doing things that he doesn't want to do. That he keeps breaking the law. And finally, for Paul, the last straw is covetousness, right? He realizes that he actually hasn't kept that law. He thinks he's been doing okay. He thinks he's measuring up to God's standards. And it seems like for Paul, and, and I don't want to over-psychologize that text. It's been done a lot. Uh, but when he says it's, it's covetousness that finally crushes him, he has no option left but to look up to Jesus, to look outside of himself, for salvation. That's the first use of the law. It causes us to look to Christ. The second use uh, is, is to restrain sin at large through the knowledge of good and uh, fear of judgment. So this is something I think we see take place uh, in ourselves, but also in the larger part of society. Okay, The knowledge of good and, and fear of judgment keep us from being as bad as we could be. And the third use is to guide the redeemed in living a holy life. Right? So if you, if you notice that, that first use, it may sound like it's primarily uh, for unbelievers. It is and it's not. 
But, but what it does is it crushes self-righteousness. It causes us to look out to Jesus Christ. And then this third use of the law, it actually guides us. It doesn't just say, you can't do this. It's by the Holy Spirit, by the grace given to us in Jesus Christ. God actually works with us. He walks with us and helps us keep his law. He guides us in holiness through this. Okay, those are some important distinctions to hold on to because we're going to talk about those uh, throughout the semester. We're going to talk about each of those uses with, with different commandments. And I think those are some important distinctions to have as we look at the larger picture of salvation and the larger picture of the scriptures. Okay, but now I want to talk about what is the gospel? We just got done talking about what the law is, but what is the gospel? First, I want to say the law is not the gospel, and the gospel is not the law. And that's an extremely important distinction to make. See, the gospel is God's message of deliverance from sin and its effects. Uh, there are various statements of it in the New Testament. Uh, again, as we're talking about Paul and Romans a lot, you can look at Romans 3 where Paul talks about being saved apart from works of the law. He talks about a ton in Galatians and in Ephesians. He says we're saved by grace through faith, right? All over the place, he talks about God's work in saving us. Well, even here, even here, before the Ten Commandments are given, God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's God who has redeemed his people and brought them out of Egypt to be with them. See, first notice that he claims them. This is personal for God. He's come to be with his people. He's redeemed them. And even in the process of doing so, he's given pictures of what he would do in Jesus Christ in the Passover. A lamb is slain and Israel's firstborns are redeemed while Egypt's are not. And God brings his people out. And he does this for free. He does this because of a promise he made to Abraham, not because Israel's awesome. They prove over and over again that they're not. The law is not the gospel, but it is the necessary backdrop of the gospel. The law, as we said before, it tells us our need of Christ when we see that we can't keep the law. The law makes sin more sinful. The law shows us how bad we are and how much we need a Savior. We have to understand the law to really understand that we need salvation. The law is not the gospel, but it tells us how great our salvation is. Not only does it tell us that we need it, but it tells us how great our salvation is, what we've been redeemed from, and it tells us how great our Savior is. That Jesus Christ, who came to fulfill the law and the prophets, lived the perfect life so that you could be redeemed. The law can instruct us in holiness, but it cannot save us. Only Jesus keeping the law for you can do that. There is a sense in which we can say that the gospel is somebody else keeping the law for you. And their law keeping is accredited to you. 
And the law is not the gospel, but for those who believe the gospel, the law is health to their bones and the way of love and justice. See, to the redeemed, to those who have believed on Jesus Christ, to those who believe that they are saved apart from the works of the law, through faith, only by God's grace, to them, the law is a teacher, a guide, an instructor, and even a friend. It, it, it comes alongside us and teaches us how to be more Christ-like. But only when you have that, that in order. The law cannot justify us. It cannot make us right with God. But it can teach those who are made right with him how to live with him. Imagine if we were actually to keep the law all the time. Imagine how good life would be, right? Like if I actually uh, didn't worship things other than God, I'd be pretty happy because my world wouldn't be shaken all the time when those things failed me. Imagine if we were to actually implement, or, or, or maybe I should say, uh, to have less political language, I don't know. Imagine if we were to actually carry out as individuals and even as countries, God's moral law in all that we did, right? Our own country would never have justified the acts of slavery. By the way, shout out to Black History Month. I meant to say that earlier. It's also Groundhog's Day. We'll talk about that later. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Because of the movie? Because of Groundhog's, actually. <clears throat> Imagine if we were to have kept God's law, though, all these years. How different the world would be There's a reason that David in the psalm says that the law is actually health to our bones. Um, There are many people who say that uh, God's law is set up around human flourishing and it's important that we keep keep the law to help us flourish as humans, to help us do well. Uh, I actually, we're not really going to talk about that so much this semester. Uh, It's true that when we keep God's law, We do a lot better. We are a lot happier as people, but as a consequence of keeping God's law, God's law is actually about him. It's about living with him and honoring him and glorifying him. But as a consequence of doing that, we live well with other people. We live well with God. It's kind of like C.S. Lewis said once, uh, that if we seek happiness, we'll never get it. But if we seek Christ, we'll get him and everything else thrown in. When we seek God and we seek to live a holy life with him, we'll be happy. We'll love others well. We'll walk in close fellowship with God and fellow man. Um, You you could almost sum up the Ten Commandments, and we're going to talk about this some throughout the semester. It's going to be one of our tying themes. You could almost sum this up as... 11 steps to happiness. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because there are a lot of <laughs> bad several-step programs. You, you really could sum it up, though, in two steps to happiness. Trust and obey. We sing that song with our kids sometimes. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that he has saved us from the condemnation of the law 
And then we ask God's help to help us walk with him, to help us love him and love others. Okay. That's it for tonight. Let's pray. When we're done singing, uh, please stick around and hang out for a while. I'd love to talk to you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to come here together, even in person. We pray that you would keep us safe. We pray that you would protect our campus uh, from the virus. We pray that you would guide us all semester in understanding your law and understanding your character and understanding Jesus, who's kept the law for us. Help us to trust in him more, to love him more, and to love others more because of your words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.